there are a lot of ways to be a faithful Unitarian Universalist. There are those of us whose practice lives primarily in our minds. We use reason to search for what is true, drawing on many sources of wisdom and our own experience. There are those whose practice lives primarily in their heart, who find their meaning and joining together in community and sharing the joys and sorrows in our common life. There are those whose practice is in the spirit. These are the mystics among us who live their faith through spiritual practice, through direct experience of the transcending mystery and wonder. And there's the faith that lives in our hands and feet and bodies, the faith that is lived by showing up and doing the work for justice in our world, the faith of showing up and trying to make our values real in the world. And for most of us, our practice is some combination of these ways of being. That's what it means for us to be faithful. And today, as you can probably tell, We're focusing our service on how we live our faith by working for a more just world. Justice work has a long tradition in both the Unitarian and Universalist threads of our history. We are the inheritors of a tradition made up of people who show up for justice, who give of themselves to make their values more real in this world. Our Unitarian heritage includes a commitment to human agency, a belief that the power, that each one of us has the power to make a real difference in this world. Our Universalist ancestors believed that everyone was worthy of love, no exceptions, no matter what. And it is our task to make that love real in this world. We combine these heritages as we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of all people and work for a community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Those of you who were here two weeks ago know, because I preached on the story of the Unitarian mission to the Ute tribe, that all of our historic justice efforts don't always look the best when viewed from the 21st century but we do have a justice-making heritage to be proud of. In 1790, the Universalists issued a statement against slavery, and many of our religious ancestors were active in anti-slavery movements. The Universalists were the first denomination to ordain a woman to the ministry, Olympia Brown, who was born in Kalamazoo County, by the way. Unitarians were involved in the founding of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and many Unitarians, Universalists, and Unitarian Universalists were deeply involved with the struggle for civil rights. We have a history of championing progressive education. Unitarian Dorothea Dix led efforts to reform care for prisoners and people with mental illness. The Unitarian Service Committee helped refugees escape Nazi-occupied Europe. In 1970, the Unitarian Universalist Association passed its first resolution in support of equal rights for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people. We have been leaders 
in the movement for marriage equality, non-discrimination ordinances, and other efforts for full equality for all people, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. That is a history to be proud of and a history that we are carrying forward today here at People's Church. Today we'll be hearing from four members of our congregation who are making our values real in the world and are carrying our heritage of justice making forward. Andrew, Nina, Jemmy, and George. And after each reflection, we are going to stay seated and sing a verse from Ella's song, which was our opening, opening hymn this morning. So Andrew is up first. Last October, I was sitting in a crowded room after the Isaac Issues Convention. We had just voted. For the next two years, Isaac would be focusing on youth violence prevention, early childhood and education, and anti-racism. We were all gathered in this small room in the back of Tabernacle Church of God in Christ to form a brand new Isaac Task Force, the Anti-Racism Task Force. The room was full of energy. It was full of excitement for this new direction for Isaac. However, when asked for volunteer co-chairs, the room fell silent. (laughs) Who would be willing to take on this role? Who would say yes? As some of you might know, I'm one of the ones that said yes to that. Uh, I'm currently serving along with uh, Talisha Parker from Tabernacle as the co-chair of the Isaac Anti-Racism Task Force. For those that uh, don't know me very well, I tend to be the quiet and introverted type. Um, Not too long ago, I would have probably never come up up here. Um, But here I am, and uh, I'm excited to be up here, actually. A little nervous, but excited. Uh, So why did I say yes? When it comes to racism, it is so easy for a white person like myself to stay within my comfort zone. It is easy to identify as a non-racist and just distance myself from the issue. But what I've come to realize is this is exactly what racism wants me to do. Our institutions are built on racism. It's the default. When we, co- when we become disengaged, the empty space we leave behind gets filled by racism. When we think this is not my problem, we are just being tricked by the process of dehumanization. We are taught through this process to become emotionally disconnected from those who we perceive as different from ourselves. I see dehumanization as being in deep contradiction to the core UU principle of recognizing the inherent worth and dignity of every person. I said yes to anti-racism because I recognize that dehumanization is trying to destroy my belief in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. As a UU, I value justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. A system of racial superiority and inferiority can never be equitable. In Kalamazoo, black babies are three to four times more likely to die in their first years compared to white babies. This is an injustice. 
our compassion <clears throat> our compassion for injustice gets lost in this dehumanization process. I said yes because racism is not just. Racism is not equitable and racism is not compassionate. As you use, we seek a community of peace, liberty, and justice for all. And I believe we are called to do this work. We must engage to dismantle racism. Our very UU principles are being challenged. This work goes far beyond politics, economics, and history. Anti-racism is the work of reconnecting with our own values. We all need to say yes. I would not have been standing up here today if it wasn't for some of you out there that said yes before me. I thank each and every one of you out there who's had the courage and compassion to lead the way. This church is at the core of my anti-racist identity. I encourage everyone here to explore how you can say yes to anti-racism. In this church, we have the Aramac Committee focusing on anti-racism and anti-oppression within our own walls. At Isaac, we are working to dismantle racism in the employment system, and we would love for you to join us. There are many other groups and organizations doing anti-racism work in and around Kalamazoo. Uh, SHARE, Erase, Black Lives Matter, Michigan Coalition Against Racism and Sports Media, Showing Up for Racial Justice, and even the Kalamazoo Public Library, just to name a few. We all can do anti-racism work, but we don't all have to do the same thing. Find out what, what fits you and say yes. So we're going to do uh, one uh, verse and the refrain after each speaker from your seat. Until the killing of black men, black mother's sons, is as important as the killing of white men, white mother's sons. Good morning. <clears throat> My name is Nina Marion, and I am the Education Chair for the People's Church Refugee Resettlement Committee. <clears throat> Before I start, I'll start out with a little bit of my background, and I'll give you some context to my experience um, with this refugee work. My parents um, were immigrants. My, pa- my father left India in 1965 to build a better life here in the United States. Um, to leave poverty and to help his family back in the old country. Legend goes there were only eight Indian families in all of Southeast Texas. 
In Kalamazoo, there are hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, by contrast, we were re religious and ethnic minorities in a southeast Texas town where it was respectable to be either Baptist, Methodist, or Catholic. There were a few Unitarian Universalists. Growing up a religious and ethnic minority without the safety net that comes with an extended family or an established religious community was terrifying as a child. I was terrified that something would happen to my parents and that we would be sent back to the old country, which included no clean running water, substandard medical care, and many social restrictions that I would find suffocating <coughs> after growing up safe and free in the United States. I lived in a middle space, not fully American, not fully Indian. It was uncomfortable to not be part of a larger group or support network. I was afraid and I was lonely. I was intrigued by the Unitarians. Um, my father was a Hindu priest, and it was a struggle to find a place to worship as there were no Hindu temples in Texas back then. The UUs let us haul in our gods and pray in their church without question or condition. And their pursuance of social justice and support of minority rights was palpable back then um, in 1970s small town Texas. Their leadership by example was a key reason I ended up here at this church as an adult. And I sometimes wonder, am I really a faithful Unitarian Universalist? And what does that mean or look like? <clears throat> when we announced that we were getting a refugee family, the empathy was immediate. The political environment for these refugees coming to Kalamazoo is more difficult than the one I grew up in. They definitely cannot go back to their country. Last year, there were one to two established Syrian families in the Kalamazoo area prior to the beginning of the resettlement initiative. I, not, no longer being a part of a new immigrant family, felt I had a little understanding for what the families would go through, and I wanted to save them from just a little bit of the anxiety I had experienced as a child. And I wanted to prove some things to those naysayers and rejectors in my past who said that somebody like me did not believe, did not belong, rather, in the fabric of American society. I wanted to be that good American and that good Unitarian Universalist that I so admired. And I wanted the refugees' first exposure to Americans to be like my exposure to the Unitarians growing up. I came to realize, though, that I was not doing selfless work. I was doing this in part for me, and it was also a little bit of ego on my behalf. I was in love with me being part of the refugee story, and to some extent it was an old battle or vendetta for my past. I wanted to save them and to some extent myself, and there was a little bit of glory that I was looking for. So in the first few months of refugee work, I picked up the Tiara family from the airport. That's our ref the last name of our refugee family. Um, I tutored English in their home and at the mosque. I fixed computers, brought families sewing machines so the moms could tailor clothes for their husbands and children, and I helped with other educational and medical issues. But at some point, I was the one that was helped. Even though my immigrant parents were very supportive of minority rights, there was a strain of anti-Islamic sentiment in my extended family that stemmed from the partition of India and Pakistan in 1947 when my father was a child. Combine that with 9-11 and Western media, there were times that I had to fight with my internal tendencies to stereotype people based on religion and ethnicity. 
This spring was my first time in a mosque, and it was my first time interacting on a very personal level with Arabic-speaking families, and they opened up another new world for me without me having to travel far from home. And I will admit, initially I did pass judgment on them, but it soon melted away as I got to know them. Um, and just some examples, like one of the boys of the Tiara family is an excellent cook, and he's an aspiring chef. His eyes light up when he talks about making pizzas back in Syria and Jordan. And uh, when I first started going to their house, the sons would get working in the kitchen and prepare a small meal for the church volunteers. Um, I've gained five pounds. <laughs> eating basbusa and fried meatballs called kibbe. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Tiara twins have expressed gratitude for having a backyard to run around in, and they've been thrilled experiencing Binder Park Zoo. Um, Abdullah tells me he'll put his hand on his heart and he'll look up at the sky, and he will say, America is very good, uh, and, 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 and thank you, Lord, is, is what he'll say. Um, Adam, the oldest, um, regularly texts me with little heart icons and says that he loves Americans. Um, and, you know, I've worked with the parents as well. I've worked with the Syrian mothers. I've watched these mothers direct and integrate their family into their new country, learning to speak English faster than most. Um, even one of the mothers, not with our family, but another family um, who, that arrived prior, is now, you know, getting her driver's permit. And um, they, these mothers are trying to hold their families together here in the States as their families still back in Syria are continuing to suffer and they're afraid for their lives. Um, to say the least, I have been floored by my experiences with these people and I've realized that these are people that I would aspire to be like. So I've been very excited about my new experiences and perspectives. I've expressed my excitement with many family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. Unfortunately, a very large number of these people have looked at me stunned, betrayed, and scared, even the ones that consider themselves liberal. They disapprove of my work to bring refugees to their hometown of Kalamazoo. Some of the things that I've heard that they've said is, did they make you wear a burqa when you went into the mosque? Um, are there really enough Muslims in Kalamazoo to have a mosque here? Shouldn't we limit the number of them here or risk the same problems that Europe is having with terrorism? Wouldn't it make more sense just to keep them in the camps in the Middle East where their culture is more similar to their own until they can go back home to Syria? So, um, you know, honestly, you know, I can't blame them because I may have had similar thoughts or even said some of these things over a year ago. My experiences doing refugee work has accelerated my personal development and compassion. I was surprised, however, how differently my thoughts have evolved. Um, I started you know, getting upset about this and posting on Facebook articles on refugee rights and Islam. I got very few likes on those posts, <laughs> typically only from Sally Padley and Leanne Siever there in the audience. <laughs> Thank you, Leanne. I really needed that. Um, you, know, it, it, you know, I started to feel that loneliness that I had felt as a child again, and it really bothered me because for a brief minute I wondered if, you know, what were these people thinking of me, but then I got over it. So our family's getting on their feet now. Um, you know, Khaled is gainfully employed. You know, the mothers that I work with are not calling me as much. They have their own friends, and they're busy. Um, 
their integration is moving much faster than, say, my own personal families did back in the 70s, and they're not really as helpless anymore um, as they progress. And eventually, we're going to have to. I'm going to have to let them go. Um, so, in my journey, there have been key learnings and growth. These refugees are, in many ways, stronger than me, and I have the deepest respect for their experiences and fortitude. I continue to try to educate on Islam and the benefits of refugee immigration. I have grown impervious and have gotten a lot stronger to the silence and the static that my friends have given me. I found that pushing people doesn't help, but setting an example does. I've seen some of my friends start to flip on this issue, um, and their hateful rhetoric has decreased as they're realizing it may not be cool anymore. Um, but I find as the refugees' dependence on me dwindles, I'm back in that awkward middle space again. I'm not part of their group, and I'm not part of this reluctant American group. But instead, I'm connecting the two groups together as a witness and sharing my journey with them. I finally distilled these soupy thoughts into a final learning about my adopted Unitarian Universalist faith. This type of work doesn't only exercise the first two principles of Unitarian Universalist, but surprisingly, the seventh. The seventh principle speaks to the respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part, Initially, I thought this principle was more about the environment and maybe being a vegetarian, but it is profound and about so much more. What it says to me now is that we can be positive instruments operating in that middle space, in the interdependent web, holding different people together. And as the Reverend Forrest Gilmore of Bloomington, Indiana, once said, and I paraphrase this slightly for clarity, our seventh principle may be our Unitarian, Universalist way of coming to fully embrace something greater than ourselves. The interdependent web can be expressed as the spirit of life, the foundation of all being, the oneness of all existence, the power of community, the sustaining of life, the creative force, the higher power, even God. This power, exercised through the seventh principle, can help us find that light within ourselves that we and our society so desperately need to find our way. It is a source of meaning to which we can dedicate our lives. So in this principle and in this work, I have discovered my UU faith. So for those of you who are interested in this journey in refugee work, Ann Feldmeyer and the team are always looking for team members, and I'll be available in the foyer after the service if you're interested in joining us. Touches me most is that I had a chance to work with people, passing on to others that which was passed on to me. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. 
I'm, I'm Jemmy Baker, and I've been asked to talk to you about my experience volunteering at Lincoln School. For a few years, I was aware of people's involvement with Lincoln and wished that I could find the time to volunteer there. And three years ago, I knew that if I didn't just make the time, it wasn't going to happen. So after our annual Lincoln service, I went and talked to Mary Lewis about it, went through the background check with communities and schools, and was assigned a teacher. <coughs> My first year, I worked with Ms. Graybeck's second grade class. I would go in two times a week, an hour or so each day, and pull out kids at, out of class to work with, with whatever they needed most. Usually it was going over math worksheets, doing sight words, or having them read to me. I worked with all of her students at one point or another, and I quickly got to know who needed the most help academically, who needed to just have that one-on-one -on -one time with someone, and who just needed positive words of encouragement that they could do it. The list of different needs was long. After that first year, I knew that there were two students in particular that I was very concerned about, so I opted to follow them up to the third grade. Because they were in two different classes in third grade, I decided to work with both classrooms. So in Ms. Buckley's class, I solely worked with Rayana, the little girl I followed up from the previous year. And in Ms. Hannah's class, I worked with most of her students, but still getting to have time with the little boy, Nicarius, that I had followed up. I struggled with being in two classes and really getting the quality time that I wanted to get to know the students because that's what felt really important to me, to have the time to get to know them, to have a good relationship with them. I had that with Rihanna, Rihanna, who I continued to work with on a weekly basis, but it was really hard with the other class. When I was asked at the end of the last school year if I would be returning, I said, yes, of course. But I wanted, the, I wanted to work, continue to work with Rihanna to follow her up as she went, went on each grade. I had spent the last two years advocating with her, for her with teachers, with communities and schools, and with the reading specialist. Here she was advancing to the fourth grade and still testing at a kindergarten level. She is just continuing, continuing to be pushed along in a broken system, lost in a class of kids that she can't come close to keeping up with, but somehow not meeting the criteria for special ed. When I received word the beginning of this year that she was no longer at Lincoln, I was devastated. I wanted to continue to be there for her. I found out through CIS that she was at Millwood. So this year, not wanting to break that bond with her, I met Millwood one day a week working with her, but not wanting to break the bond that People's Church has with Lincoln, I met Lincoln there one day a week as well. So at Lincoln, I'm again working with Miss Buckley's third graders, but with that desire for a closer connection to the kids that I work with, I've been assigned four kids in her class this year. So hopefully with a smaller group of kids, I'll be able to make some of those strong connections and get to know them well. And at Millwood, I continue to work one-on-one -on -one with Rayana, who I hope knows that I will not give up on her. I'm here for her, and I hope to continue to follow and work up with her as long as I can. When asked why I volunteer at Lincoln and what it is that I love about it, it's easy for me to say, I love the kids. But most importantly, I love working with the kids that someone else may see as just too tough. 
Those are the kids that I know. There's so much hurt in their world, and they need someone to put in the time to gain their trust. Because once you do, not only can you help change their world, but they will help change yours. That's what the People's Connection to Lincoln is, building relationships that are so desperately needed. Shed some light as they carry us through the gale. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Hi, I'm George McCray. And I've come here to speak about the uh, parolee program for uh, people that have been in, uh, incarcerated in jail. Now, why would I do something like that? Well, it was something new. And my wife and I have always been involved in trying different things. And so I did. And about six years ago, I was asked if I would like to serve as a mentor in the parolee program a reentry program run by the Center for Transformation. Uh, this program involves helping people who have been incarcerated to return to society as a free citizen. Uh, you might ask, well, is that wouldn't be difficult, would it, for them to return as a free citizen? Well, it's not that simple. They've been told what to do, not every minute, but for the most part of the day, they don't have a lot of freedom to do what they really want to do sometimes. And so they have to learn that. And then there's a lot of things that they didn't know or have forgotten, such as cell phones. Some of those people have been in there maybe 10 or 15 years or more. And uh, they don't have much choice of using cell phones in uh, the jail or in the program or entry program. However... Uh, and then there's the other thing, and that is computers. So there's have a lot to learn and to, and to maybe even fear about new, this new job of getting along as a citizen. I had no idea what to expect as I had spent my entire uh, practice, uh, professional uh, life, in the Kalamazoo in finance and the employee benefit uh, program at the Epjohn Company. Even though part of my uh, work involved uh, advising uh, retirees and employees. I surely had never dealt with people who had been incarcerated, so this was something new. Uh, I had no idea what to expect from these people. At age 80, it was totally unknown territory for me. But we'd been through this before because my wife and <clears throat> I had, uh, not this particular aspect, but something new, because my wife and I had sent her uh, daughters to Lincoln the year before busing because there was a new program there uh, funded by the feds and it had to be open to anyone, not just black people. And so they did that. And they got a lot out of it. 
I didn't know if the parolees, for example, I didn't know if the parolees could express their uh, needs well enough for me to uh, understand, excuse me, uh, understand what they needed. And I wasn't sure whether they could uh, express themselves well enough for us to understand. This is one of the fundamentals I have been uh, experienced. I had experienced from the program. Whenever you think, never think you're too old to uh, learn something new. And that is one of the things my wife and I have done a lot: is something new. Uh, transformation. Uh, the, the goal of the Center for Transformation is to give parolees the confidence and information they need to uh, transition to society and get a job. Uh, that's, well, you say that seems simple, but it isn't because, uh, excuse me, because uh, getting a job it's something they haven't done for a while. I mean, they've had the job of trying to get along in the prison and do what they're being told, but they didn't have time to think about doing different things very often. If they did, it didn't last too long. And so uh, the nitty-gritty of the, monitor, the mentoring program can involve many things that I have never, uh, entered, that have never entered my mind. Life... Like, is, like visiting prisoners at the state prison. I've never been to a state prison. Or driving to the Michigan State Prison uh, in a driving, drive in a bad snowstorm, advocating, to advocate for a reincarcerated mentee. And then there was an evening I spent on the steps of KPEP facility with a mentee who wanted me to discuss his gay status. That was new to me also. But as I say, I've been taught to believe everyone was equal. So I believed, and I still do. Uh, I had uh, helped parolees look for a job, interacted, I have helped parolees look for a job, interacted with a family members, some of whom became friends, and uh, given a refresher course in how to pass a driver's test for a driver's license, and then doing laundry in my home. This was in an emergency at the last minute. The guy was working in a restaurant, and he needed clean clothes. He didn't have time to do anything, so he gave me a call, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'll get it done. And uh, when a mentee calls you on Father's Day, or a family sends you to uh, sends you a Christmas card and blessings, uh, or gives you a, gives your spouse a hand crocheted potholder, or someone you helped in the past invites you and uh, writes you uh, a letter. You feel so grateful. When one of our mentees succeeds, their accomplishment is celebrated by everyone, and it makes you feel grateful. So, uh, excuse me, to have helped them. Uh, someone whose needs are so great and resources so limited, it makes you feel really good. They have uh, become a better person, but I've become a better person also. So this, uh, there was a lot of things that uh, 
you sort of had to go by the seat of your pants. I mean, you always had people to help you, but you never knew what was going to happen, such as the guy that wanted me to talk to him about his gay status and other things. So uh, this was a really a, a wonderful experience and kept me on my toes. Thank you. don't mean a whole lot I've come to realize that teaching others to stand up and fight it's the only way a struggle survives we who believe in freedom cannot rest we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes So I am inspired, and I hope some of you are too. And if you want to find out more about any of the programs that were mentioned today or any of the other social justice work that People's Church is doing in our community, there's a table in the foyer, or talk to anybody with a yellow rose. Those are our leaders in this work. <laughs>